The role of the modern day pastor and ministry leader is changing. More and more pastors around the world today are ministry leaders who are doing multiple jobs and wearing multiple hats. They are bivocational or co-vocational leaders. They may be pastors looking for creative ways to use their church or staff to create income and revenue for sustainability. They may be ministry leaders who are looking for ways to launch for-profit initiatives or integrate innovation into their organization. They may be those who want to do missions globally and find creative ways to create sustainability. Or they may be marketplace leaders who are called to stay in the marketplace, but want to be part-time pastors, lay pastors, start ministries or nonprofits. This is the age of the new ministry leader. They wear different hats and do different things. They are technologically savvy and global. They are who God is using to make an impact in cities and communities around the world. This is the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast, and these are their stories. Good morning, everyone. Today, I get a chance to sit down with someone I've gotten to work with a little bit, but now just starting to get to know Danae Pierre, Executive Director of the Search Network in the Phoenix, Arizona area, right, Danae? Yes. Yep. Yeah. How are you today? I'm great. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Danae, before we talk a little bit about the Search Network, share a little bit about your life, your journey, and how you got to be doing what you're doing right now. Sure, absolutely. Well, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom immigrated here from Honduras. Uh, and um, I was born here, raised around my family in uh, West Phoenix. And um, really, pretty early on, just had a very uh, a powerful encounter with Christ. And um, by middle school, really felt burdened to uh, work uh, m- among the poor and uh, do cross-cultural ministry. And so went through high school, started college with kind of that end in mind, um, went to East Africa, Tanzania to do yeah. some some work uh, with church planters and uh, an orphanage out there. Um, and then uh, right before I went to Tanzania, I w- was part of helping plant the church that I'm now at, which is Roosevelt Community Church in downtown Phoenix. Yeah. My, hus- my husband was uh, not my husband then. He was the lead church planter. So I was on the core team, helped launch the church, uh, launched the church, went to East Africa, uh, came back to uh, raise funds. And he asked me out that first week back, or week or so back. And uh, the rest is history. I've been in Phoenix ever since. So we got married a year later, um, have been part of this beautiful multicultural church in downtown Phoenix, um, and then started working with pastors and church planters in our city. Um, and yeah, love our life here. We have four four kids. Our oldest just left the home, uh, so he's 19, um, in in the Marines, pursuing a pilot really? pilot career. And then our yeah. youngest is in first grade. She's six. Wow. So we've been doing the online school thing yeah. uh, a lot of 2020. So, yeah. God, Danae, I mean, for you, East Africa, <laughs> Phoenix, everything. What are lessons that you learn from your time in East Africa, planting church in East Africa? that you were able to bring into the U.S. And that, in some sense, I, I, you know, a lot of times is, we here in the West, we think the West is the one that leads everything. But we've yeah. got to be students of the cultures that we're in. Yeah. Yeah, you know, what was really interesting about my time there was I had two very different experiences. So one was seeing, um, you know, Tanzanian leaders uh, who were planting these, you know, small 15, 20, 30 member uh, churches, sometimes, you know, far out uh, of town. Um, and it was really beautiful just to see 
these local indigenous expressions and all the different types of worship and um, how different tribe, tribe, tribal rituals were incorporated into um, the, the life of the, you know, the worship service um, and then how integrated life was, you know, day to day as a Christian community. Well, then I also, of course, was working with American missionaries. Um, and so you could just, you can see how easy it is to impose some of our Western practices um, on other cultures uh, that aren't necessarily biblical, they're yeah. very cultural. Mm -hmm. and, and so that really helped me even coming back, beginning to think about how do we um, really reach uh, people who um, have been outside of the church for a long time, have had really hurtful experiences within the church um, or just have no context for, for Christian worship. Um, and then in a multicultural space, you have people who were raised in very different types of churches from historic black churches to Hispanic Pentecostal um, to kind of your, you know, we had several of kind of like the, you know, reformed Bible churches and how do you come together and create something that is contextual. So a lot of my time in, in, uh, in different cultures outside of the country has helped me, I think, think a little differently about uh, how how many different models are available to us to yeah. practice the Christian faith. Got it. And so Phoenix area, I, like I've lived in Chicago for 43 years and I saw that you went to Covenant Theological Seminary. Mm -hmm. I grew up in, I went to university at Washington University in St. Louis. So I'm familiar with uh, St. Louis. Yeah. Phoenix, how would you describe the Phoenix area? Yeah. So we are um, a, it's a very new city. Um, so it's really only developed. I mean, it developed, started a hundred years ago, but really only in the seventies when air conditioning became a thing, did the city really begin to grow. Um, and, and, and so new city, lots of um, people who've moved from other parts of the country and world who live here. I think we're half, we're half Latino, um, have a have a beautiful uh, immigrant population and just a strong Mexican American culture, yeah. um, and some Central American culture also, but really strong Mexican American, and uh, it's kind of integrated into into almost almost all the you know restaurants, coffee shops, um, arts culture. Um, it's very uh, integrated, and so that's been that's a really beautiful part of our our city. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's a, a, a city of, it kind of feels like a big suburb sometimes. Uh, we have one little tiny downtown area, um, but, but also really a great opportunity to be part of um, a lot of the development because there's just so many spaces that are only three or four generations old. Got it. And also around it, I think a lot of times for those who's new to Phoenix, they'll think snowbirds, spring training, <laughs> all of that yeah. stuff. Is that still part of that culture as well, too, where people are only there for certain parts of the year? Uh, it is not really. Where, I mean, kind of pretty far out. So 45 minutes to, uh, yeah, it's 45 minutes outside of the city. There's two different, in both directions, there's two different kind of snowbird suburbs that you have people come in. Um, yeah, there's definitely, there's definitely quite a few people who come from Chicago. Uh, usually they're not snowboarding though. Usually they're moving here permanently. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> After it. they experience one of our winters, um, but yeah, we do have we do have some of that. Got it. Now, search network. Share a little bit about that. Yeah. So twelve years ago, uh, pastors in our city, we were we were church planting. We were we were young in our church plant at the time. Um, really, just began realizing that um, there was something built into church planting and maybe the, the vocation of pastoral ministry that seemed to kind of 
um, unintentionally breed competition, uh, comparing, um, and a couple pastors began to sit down and think about what would it look like for us to really partner and collaborate uh, for the city to flourish, and what are ways that we can do that. And so initially we started really just doing monthly meals together and eventually developed a leadership development program called Surge School for our lay leaders. And that was about eight years ago. And really there began to be this strong conviction from at that point, it was about 30 churches that said, we really want to reorganize our local churches around discipleship and equipping uh, laity for mission in the city and to see them equipped to engage in all areas of life. And so we started doing uh, trainings together. Um, we've over the you know years now, we have you know over 100 churches involved. We've taken several thousand lay leaders through this intensive training. Um, and it's really been fun to see all the ways different uh, part, different neighborhoods, different communities within our city have begun to practice this uh, way of, of of viewing our place in the city um, as being uh, ordained by God for us to be a blessing and to contribute to the flourishing, the justice, uh, the beauty of what of what uh, you know peacemaking, all of that uh, in our city. And so, we've been really intentional on being a multi ethnic network. So, um, you know, crossing. Uh, denominational lines. Um, we have almost every de denomination represented in our leadership core. And it really is just a fellowship of church leaders who are committed to uh, to holding our vocation in a particular kind of way and leading our churches uh, to be gospel-centered and, and missional in the city. Yeah. Danae, how long, and, and two questions. First one is, how long did it take you guys to really be able to create a spirit of cooperation where there isn't competition, there isn't, okay, you're going to want to lead. Well, why don't I lead? Why do you have to lead? How yeah. did you go about creating that camaraderie and that focus to really be able to work together? Yeah, one of the things that um, we've more recently begun to say explicitly, I think it happened organically at first, um, but we've really organized around friendship. Um, now, it's also friendship that involves uh, doing certain projects and initiatives together. Um, but I think a lot of times we try to build coalitions around projects. Um, and, and that I don't think is enough to sustain and nurture long term. And so there really has been a radical commitment to each other um, through you know, people leaving ministry through people, um, you know, losing their jobs through uh, times of real uh, flourishing and fruit, as well as times of real suffering. There's been a real intentionality to do ministry together, um, to be committed to friendship, uh, even with pastors and leaders very different than us. And so I think even that early on, we tried to really name, hey, we were drawn to sit, depending on what denomination you're from, you're drawn to sit around and debate particular theological topics um, but that's not what this space is for. This space is for really thinking deeply about a kind of holistic discipleship in our own vocation as ministers, but also in how we're helping our churches uh, move forward in serving and blessing our cities. And so we've tried really hard, you know, when when there's a sense of like pride or narcissism or competition, just to name it and talk about it, it. try it. to pray a lot through it, um, and really foster and facilitate friendships. I'd say it took, a, I think it took a few years. Um, and there's particularly a decision made early on not to organize based on being lead pastor or church size. And so we had churches of 
you know, we're, we're lead pastors of 3000 people. We're learning from pastors of 50 yeah. people, um, youth pastors and lead. Pa- so I, I think that all of those decisions, I think, contributed um, to, you know, to say we're not going to we're not going to give in to some of the kind of normal ideas out there that yeah. that that we have to be lonely because we're in ministry yeah. or we have to be with people just like us or with our same position. We are really going to intentionally cross barriers and facilitate yeah. depth of friendship. You're the executive director of the Search Network. And a lot of times with the executive director, you're manning different personalities. You're managing uh, projects together. As you as a leader, and this is where sometimes for me, I struggle with, you have a table of four or five different people working together, but they have their own ideas. How do you as a leader make sure that they have ownership on those ideas, but you got to make a decision, especially in competing ideas? Yeah. Um, well, I think it takes time. So I think we try to start new projects. Um, we try to incubate them pretty small. So we'll take three to five, three to five leaders, three to five churches, um, and and really help facilitate really good discussion. Uh, we, you know, we'll use design processes to um, you know create new curriculum or design a new program. Um, but then ultimately, um, you know, I think. I think I think that there are moments in which there is, um, in which there is a, you know, which there can be con. So yes, I think multiple things. One, it's sometimes we just have to make a decision. Two, I think we have to be really quick and intentional to address conflict, not as a bad thing, but just as part of uh, being in relationship and collaborating. And so we don't ignore it. We don't just uh, pretend like it's not there. We talk through it. Um, and and then three, I think usually the types of collaborative projects that work cross denominationally and cross you know across different churches. Um, is able to integrate a few different conflicting perspectives um, in, you know, together. Understood. You also mentioned Surge School. Share a little bit about that. How is that? And prior before we got on the call, we were talking about that the role of the ministry leader is different and how we train, train people is going to be a little bit different. It may not be necessary going to a seminary, may not be an MDiv program, but yet, at the same time, there's training needed. I look at Tesla. I look at uh, Netflix where they're saying, hey, you don't need a four-year degree. Come and work for us and we'll train them. How yeah. have you started training, especially with the context that you have? Yeah. So, um, well, Surge School is specifically for laity. So for people who are not in full, who are not pastors um, or that's kind of their, you know, really the goal is to help them um, really represent Christ in all the different places that they're living, their workplace, their, you know, their homes. Um, but really what we're trying to do is help Christ, the everyday Christian really understand the Western story. So yeah. what are the cultural idols we inherit that we're unaware of? How does individualism, consumerism, um, impact, you know, our, our addictions to comfort and safety, where did they come from? You know, what, what story, what's the storyline that we inherited? Um, and how do they shape our understanding of scripture, of decisions we make, of how we organize our life? So that's one big part of it. And then, of course, the second part is helping them understand the biblical story and particularly the calling that, that they've received to live within it and to point, you know, to use their life. Uh, to build examples of what the new heavens and new earth will be like um, in their everyday lives, from the most min- minute acts of obedience all the way to collaborating with, 
you know, moms at a local public school uh, to help be a restorative presence uh, in a classroom, for example. So that's what the training is really designed for. It's, in, it's intended to be a one-time, you know, kind of nine-month intensive to help launch them into uh, their life and work. Um, and we've, I think we've really been surprised you know, we're really thankful with how effective it's been and, and just the impact. I mean, that you can we can visibly see the impact in business and government and uh, right. the arts community. Right. Yeah. Very, very good. And so you run executive director day by day. Your husband, is he still the lead pastor over at the church as well too? Yep, he is. Yes. For When you look at the Phoenix area and as Phoenix continues to grow, what is going well in the city of Phoenix, but what is things that still need to improve over in the city of Phoenix? Yeah, um, going well. I think we've really seen, um, you know, there, there really is beginning to be an identity for, for belonging to the city, which is, which is really important. I think 10 years ago, there was kind of this sense that if you lived here, you were from Chicago or from yeah. Boston, um, but you weren't, you know, from from Phoenix. And so there really has become to be a real sense of identity. I'm from here. People are making decisions to stay. So we've become a much less transient city, always people moving, but, but a lot less people moving out. Yeah. Um, people beginning to commit to particular neighborhoods and uh, communities. So that's been really wonderful to see um, in our city. And I, I don't think it's, you know, I think there's lots of reasons for it, but I do think there has been a part, a role that the church has played in a, at least a small part of that, um, which has been really effective. Um, it challenges, you know, we are, we are historic, we have been known nationally as a very anti-immigrant city. Mm. Um, there's, there's been a lot of hostility uh, towards immigrants, even back when I was growing up as a kid, I remember um, just the, 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 the strong attitudes towards immigrants. And of course, we are a city full of immigrants. And so that really caused a lot of division. Um, and there's been a lot of really harsh policies that um, we've, you know, the last 10, 12 years have been really uh, difficult for immigrant neighborhoods. At the same time, uh, there's been a lot of work done, a lot of leadership development, um, a lot of like the dream, the dream act and whatnot has come out of our, has come out of leadership here from here within Phoenix. And so I think it's definitely an area that we need to continue to do bridge building, peacemaking around, um, helping people under, you know, come, especially Christians, helping them, uh, you know, regardless of different opinions on policy, how do we really love our neighbors, uh, show hospitality towards the foreigner, uh, really embrace some of the things that scripture has called us to, um, as part of our, our daily practices. Got it. Let me switch gears a little bit and ask you about something else that I think a lot of times I'd love to hear your insight. Women in ministry, especially with your role, you are an executive, you're a president of this organization. Has it improved? What, the role of women in ministry, how people perceive it, working with in the, uh, male uh, leaders, has that improved? What has improved? What still needs to work, be worked on? Yeah, um, you know, it's, it is, yeah, I don't know if it's improved or not. It's definitely, I think, been a significant challenge, particularly here in Phoenix, um, but now I'm doing a lot of work nationally. Yeah, and I uh -huh. think I think that there are definitely spaces that, that really embrace and champion women in leadership. Um, 
I think for whatever reason, I've always ended up in spaces where I'm like the first and it hasn't really even been, you know, it hasn't really been an intentional thought. Yeah. Um, and so I'm sure my experience might be a little harder than others. Uh-huh. However, um, I have, I, you know, in every space I'm at, uh, at least locally, there's um, all kinds of women leaders. And I do see um, that the conversation has seemed to shift from theological positions and people drawing lines based on the, based on their denominational position and really understanding and embracing that we need brothers and sisters in Christ to relate rightly to each other and to collaborate for mission. Um, and so I think the conversation has moved, it's improved in the sense that it's moved from, um, you know, what do you think about a particular passage of scripture to how do we organize most effectively for mission and really value and honor the gifts that God's given women. So I also think probably the last five or six years of exposure of harm, harmful leadership practices within uh, the church broadly um, has really put an emphasis on uh, just some of the pride. And I think that particularly has impacted um, the ways in which women have been treated in, in, in ministry mm-hmm. over the years. And so I, I, I think that there's at least a discussion around it, um, you know, and hopefully we're at the beginning of beginning to listen to sisters who maybe have had to figure out how to lead differently um, in order to participate in ministry spaces over the years. There's a lot to learn from our sisters. I think that sometimes we're noticing problems and then quickly jumping to solutions without really seeing maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years of, of ways in which our sisters have figured out other ways to lead that might be, that might be healthy, healthier. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I think it continues to be an area of needed reconciliation and focus. Um, and I'm hopeful that in the years to come, we'll see a lot more women leading in ways that are that are bridging some of the gaps. I think part of what's hard about this particular issue is the ways in which the church has divided. And one of the things we see in Phoenix is we give people permission to stay rooted in their theological tradition. But we equip mm. them with the tools to sit at tables and respect and honor people with different ones. Interesting. Okay. And so we have, you know, we I think we're one of the few, few cities that are working extremely collaboratively at every level, complementarian, egalitarian, um, male, female, you know, and I think that's really important. Yeah. When you say tools, Danae, what does that mean? Is it discussion points, ability to have those discussions, to listen? What are those tools? Yeah. So we use, um, so we we do have trainings and um, are very intentional to equip us to have, we call them table manners. How do you, how do you, you know, have a family meal um, and really practice uh, reconciliation, um, and you know, list, learning how to listen, um, learning how to state your 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 the opposite position charitably. Um, you know, how do you identify straw men arguments and make sure that we're not doing that, even if we disagree? Um, so, um, really looking to identify practices sometimes of, of fundamentalism, regardless of where where you are in the spectrum, and saying if we're going to really live deeply in relationship with each other. We have to actually learn how to disagree like Christians, um, show respect and value for, and for those of us who have uh, differing positions on non-essential issues um, that is essential to our witness. And so we, we just finished, for an ex- as an example, earlier this month, we did a really intensive bridging and bonding training. So teaching us what does it look like to build bridges, um, what are the different 
uh, things that we need to commit to and agree on? And how, how do you practice vulner vulnerability uh, within, a, within a context in which you're uh, around people who are very, very different than you? How do you practice honesty? Um, what does it look like to um, practice trust? And we spent, you know, they're workshops. So you're really evaluating ways you've done it in the past, ways you've done it poorly, how you can do it differently. How does that play out with your staff? How does it play out in your home? How does it play out with people you're just meeting? So we get really practical. Um, and I think those, those have really served us well. Danae, did you find, and you talked about these tools, all of these things, were the existing tools that you found somewhere or did you find yourself you had to create all this stuff? Yeah, we've created a lot of it. We've pulled a lot of it from, um, and there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of the rich theology, I think, especially in the historic black church and the Latin American church. So there's a, there's a, a deep, deep well of theology to pull from. And then from there, trying to make it applicable to kind of 2020, 20, I guess 2021 now, um, and, and, pra and, and practitioners, how do you do this in your day-to-day -day life? Um, so we've, We've curated a lot um, in terms of the, the, the concepts and the theology and the commitment to um, to reconciliation. Um, uh, South America also, there's so, so many rich theologians who were in out of the apartheid experience. Um, and then from there built tools, um, worksheets, and then, you know, spiritual inventories that people can kind of think through um, and, 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 and pray and discern uh, what what their leadership look like and how do they looks like and how do they grow? Got it. Uh, one last question as we wrap up here: this whole idea of partnerships. When I talk with donors, a lot of donors love partnerships. Hey, you got partner with this organization. Let me introduce you to this organization. You got partner. It's great. We talk about partnerships all day until you actually get into the nitty gritty of what does partnership look like. Then it becomes hard. Yeah. What are some tips? And you actually mentioned one tip. You said start small. Don't mm -hmm. sit there and say, well, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Start small. What are the yeah. other types of partnerships, best practices that you've learned? Yeah. So I think one thing I've learned is there's a big difference between coalition building, which is important, and partnership. And I think defining what, what you're doing to start is important. A lot of, you know, use, use donors as an example. A lot of what they like to see is coalition building everyone working together on some kind of, um, on some goal. And I think the best coalition builders um, are able to um, facilitate a lot of different people doing something really simple, right? Like a one day event or, um, you know, a goal of, you know, a hundred new something or another, right? It's a very simple one-time goal. Um, I think a partnership really, you know, and we've, and we've done a lot of these in Phoenix where we're, you know, we're partnering with, city to city or made to flourish and, um, you know, different uh, local, you know, foster care initiatives or refugee ministries. Um, I think it really un it requires understanding what what the other person really define, what, what they're really defining as um, success for them and what they're wanting to accomplish. And then being really honest about how you, the parts of their vision and their goals that you can help them accomplish. Um, and how that helps your particular, some of your particular goals and then building something that's really reciprocal and collaborative uh, around those shared um, things. But then also being honest about where you can't help each other, right? There's just certain that we are different organizations. And so here's the thing that's the same and we can, we can overlap and really share this particular aspect 
and here's the things that are, aren't. Um, and I think for, for partnerships to work really well, there has to be a radical commitment to uh, transformational kingdom relationships. So much of ministry unintentionally is transactional. You know, we're trying to raise money for our budgets, we're trying to pay our staff, we're trying to do our thing, we're trying to write our newsletters. And if we are not prayerfully and deeply aware of our internal reality as leaders and how easy it is to make something about our ministry or our platform or our, our leadership, then it's very hard to have a, a partnership that's really, really collaborative. But if we're going in it very honest, very clear, and looking for very specific ways to serve the other and receive from the other, um, then I think it could be a very healthy and flourishing partnership. Danae, for those who are listening to this, and I'm, I'm going to make sure I clip this portion of it, what you said was very wise because a lot of times, rarely do I have someone like your attitude. Half the time with partnerships, I, the partner go in with their side of what they could get accomplished. Mm -hmm. And my thought is, if you're just going in with what you think benefits you, you'll mm -hmm. never have a long-lasting partnership. You right. have to understand what makes what's a success for them? How can yeah. I serve them? But then mm -hmm. what are your goals and how do we match up together and have mm -hmm. those hard conversations? Yes. Because that's yes. why partnerships never work because right. if one guy is always taking everything and never share, you don't want to work with that person again. Right. Well, and I think so much of, you know, my husband and I use marriage a lot to talk about ministry, church, everything. I think that similar to how it works in marriage, um, if you, you know, if, if, if that wouldn't, if that type of partnership wouldn't work in a marriage, why would it work with it with two ministries, right? Where you're trying to really collaborate on something specific. It has to, you have to be putting the other person before yourself and oriented in ways that are serving. Um, and also, and I think the receiving part is important because sometimes Christian ministries, especially when it involves the poor, can go into health, but there's no sense of reciprocity for what they can learn and receive and, and the gift that that person or that entity or that ministry is to be to you yeah. in return. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's extremely important. And, and it, it requires us shedding our individualistic, independent approach to leadership and really learning how to practice interdependency yeah. and being one body. And I think yeah. When, yeah. When, when that happens, we see phenomenal things yeah. um, come out of it. It's when you see the, the fish and the loaves multiply. Danae, you and I worked on the Oswald's Inner City Project for just a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I, we don't know each other. We're getting to know each other now. As I talk with you, I can understand why Al Barth is asking you to help lead North, City to City North America. I'm just not tooting your own horn. You are a quite an intelligent, competent, wise individual. I, I, I've learned so much. There is a sense of strong leadership skills, but genuine humility to really be able to serve, which I, I've really, I've learned a lot from this conversation. Thank you for teaching me and allowing me to learn from you. Thank you. It's very kind of you. Hey, we're going to wrap up and I, I love to share, where can people find more information about the Surge Network? Yeah. So you can go to our website, surgenetwork.com. Uh, people can follow me on social media to see the various things that, that we're doing um, or, or follow Surge as well. Um, there's a lot of really great leaders involved with Surge. So, uh, and reach out to us through email as well. Um, I don't know if you post notes, but I can yep. post my, my uh, email address there. But it's Danae at surgenetwork.com. Danae at surgenetwork.com. I will make sure uh, that I will really be able to post all that stuff. Thank you so much, Danae. And hey, we're going to talk soon, okay? Yep, absolutely. All God right. bless.
Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of the Grow Center's Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader Podcast. To stay connected, make sure you subscribe to the Grow Center channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. We would love for you to follow along with the Grow Center on Instagram and Facebook at Grow Center Network and our website at www.thegrowcenter.com. See you next time.